Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I talk about biblical and spiritual topics that I hope can help and encourage you in your life journey. I speak from a Christian perspective, but I intend to be respectful and relevant to people of all religious traditions. If you are a spiritual searcher and don't identify with any particular faith, I hope that these words speak to you as well. This week I'm going to be reading and talking about one of the most famous fish stories of all time. The story comes from early in the Gospel of Luke and talks about an encounter Jesus has with a group of fishermen. Now the fishing had been lousy that day, but after their encounter with Jesus, their luck changes. This is one of many stories involving Jesus interacting with fishermen, which is not surprising because fishing was a major source of livelihood on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, in this story called Gennesaret, where Jesus began his ministry. The story begins at Luke 5.1. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him, to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake, and the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deeper water, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all day and all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. Here ends the reading. Jesus hung out with a lot of fishermen, even though he was not a fisherman himself. In this story, Jesus is at the seaside, for a different purpose. He's teaching a large group of people who had heard that this itinerant preacher from Nazareth had something to offer. The crowd was getting out of hand. Jesus was drawing big crowds wherever he went. The fishermen had quit fishing for the day and were cleaning their nets. So Jesus commandeers one of the two fishing boats nearby and begins teaching them from offshore. 
He could have used a good pontoon boat as a preaching platform. Anyhow, the boat that Jesus was using as a makeshift pulpit belonged to Simon, also called Peter, who would become one of Jesus' early disciples. It appears that Jesus and Simon were already acquainted. Just prior to this story, Jesus had healed Simon's mother of a fever in nearby Capernaum. These kinds of healings and teachings were the cause of the crowds that were following Jesus. When he finishes his teaching, he tells Simon to send a boat out into deep water and put out the nets to catch some fish. Simon's hesitant since they've fished all night and haven't caught anything, but he puts the nets down anyway. He caught so many fish that their nets started to break, and they had to summon other fishermen to come out and help them bring in the catch. The fish filled both boats to the point of sinking. The result of this miraculous catch has a surprising effect on Simon. He falls down on his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Evidently, after seeing Jesus heal his mother-in-law, and now witnessing him produce this load of fish, Peter was beginning to catch on to the scope of the powers that Jesus possessed. Peter's two fishing partners, James and John, were likewise in awe of what they'd seen. Without any background on who Jesus was, it's easy to understand how this power could seem overwhelming and even threatening. Thus, Peter's request for Jesus to go away. He didn't want his life as a successful fisherman interrupted. At this point, the focus of our story has switched from literal fishing to Jesus recruiting disciples. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Fish become a metaphor for potential followers of Jesus. In my Bible, this story comes under the heading, The First Disciples. But if we fish the deeper waters of the story, pardon me for borrowing Jesus' metaphor, we will find a lot more value in it. It's a story about discouragement and persistence, abundance, fear, and risk-taking. With all of these themes, we have to keep our eye on the literal level of fish and fishing, and at the same time, the metaphorical level of people and discipleship. We discover, as the story unfolds, that we're dealing with a group of discouraged fishermen. They fished all night without success, so they've called it a day. I remember going fishing with my dad when I was a kid, and we would sit for hours on the banks of the Wapsikinikin River, sipping strawberry pop, eating bologna sandwiches on white bread, and talking about life. Often, most times actually, we spent the whole day without a bite, and as we packed up to leave, my father would inevitably say, I like it better when we don't catch anything. Now, that may have been a rationalization. I thought it was. But I'm sure my mom, 
the designated fish cleaner of the family, preferred not have any catfish to skin and gut for dinner. That would have been the case, not have been the case for Simon, Peter, and James, and John. Their livelihoods depended on their catch. So Jesus counsels persistence and good fishing practices. Instead of sitting in one unproductive spot on the bank like my dad and me, he tells them to try deeper water. His advice pays off with an abundant catch. Of all the possible angles that we could approach this story from, I'm going to focus on the metaphorical theme of the call to discipleship. That, after all, is the result of the story. Simon Peter, James, and John become three of Jesus' first followers. Now, there are several things that we should first note about these three recruits. These were not professional religious people like priests or scribes or religious scholars. They were working stiffs. They were fishermen. And although fishing was a respectable business to be in, it was hard, sometimes dangerous work. They were definitely blue-collar. At the outset, they seemed ill-suited to become the representatives of the future Messiah. Now, the fact that they were gainfully employed meant they had something to lose by abandoning their business. We don't know what became of the boat and the nets that they left behind. The story doesn't include that kind of detail. The Gospel of Matthew, though, describes the disciples' change of vocation a bit differently and even more dramatically. Matthew writes, As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea, and since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with Zebedee and their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This story is a little bit different, has a few different details. But in this version of the story, James and John not only abandon their visit, but they also drop what they're doing and walk out on their father. From a practical standpoint, they were irresponsible and disrespectful to their father. The life that Jesus was calling them to came with no salary. They wandered around without a source of income, homeless, and like Blanche Dubois said in A Streetcar Named Desire, they depended upon the kindness of strangers. Although the disciples seemed willing to follow Jesus without question, we're told that Simon Peter was afraid, and it's likely that the others were as well. They at least had some trepidation, and they had good reason to be afraid. They were throwing in their lots with a man who would become public enemy number one for both the Roman government and the Jewish power brokers. And when Jesus is eventually arrested, they desert him in fear for their lives. 
most, if not all of them, would end up dying because of their association with them. In other words, discipleship, as we have it here, is hazardous to your health. Nonetheless, this group of fishermen, including Simon Peter, are able to overcome their fears and take the plunge with Jesus. They followed him. One of the other features of newly called disciples is that they don't begin their work as skilled and mature representatives of the mission and message of Jesus. In fact, they often come off as bumbling, grumbling idiots. They argued among themselves about their status relative to one another. They betrayed him and deserted him when things got tough. Jesus was often left shaking his head at how inept they were. And yet, with the exception of Judas, they came out the other side of his ordeal on the cross to go on by themselves to proclaim the victory over death that he won there. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this today. The legacy of Jesus would have died out. There is no more iconic group of disciples of any faith than these twelve. That's a brief description of what the call of disciple twelve was like, but what is important for us to consider, and I suppose the reason that the gospel writers included these stories about their call, is what it implies for future disciples, people like you and me and the generations in between us. Within a generation of Jesus' death, when all of the Jesus' original disciples were dead, a new generation of disciples would need to pass this story on to future generations. Generation after generation of disciples have answered the call for over 2,000 years. Many of them sacrificed just as dearly as Simon Peter at all. And so, I ask you, are you ready to drop what you are doing and answer a call to discipleship? Now, let me push pause for a moment. I say every week at the beginning of this podcast that I intend not only to speak to people who are Christians or who follow specific religious traditions, but discipleship is generally defined as the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. So even though I'm asking if you are ready to answer call to discipleship, I don't expect non-Christians to tune out at this point. My goal is not to proselytize or convert. This is not an altar call. And I can say that because I'm using the most universal definition of discipleship that I can. Here's my definition. A disciple is a person who, through word and deed, proclaims the good news of love, life, and forgiveness. This is the discipleship which I'm asking you to consider. Now, as a justification of my expanded view of discipleship, I cite an incident when the disciples of Jesus witnessed someone who they did not consider a legitimate follower of him performing healings. What'd they do? They tried to stop him. And Jesus scolds them and says, 
Whoever is not against us is for us. So here's how you and I fit in. Like Simon, Peter, James, and John, we are all regular folk. We all have our nine-to-five jobs or other responsibilities in life. Most of us have others who rely upon us for support. We risk something if we drop what we are doing to follow the life of a disciple. There is a cost we pay as disciples. Most of us are not going to quit our jobs or leave our businesses, but we may be required to drop some of our self-seeking ways of life. We need to put others before ourselves. We may even run afoul of some of our relationships, which aren't consistent with the gospel of love, especially in these divisive times in which we live. This is where we're like Simon Peter. Most of us resist change. We prefer the status quo, even if our lives might not seem that great to others. This call to a new life, new way of thinking and being is frightening. The power of love and forgiveness is great. It can change you. And we don't really know where that change of heart is going to lead us. It would be easier to say, like Simon, leave me alone. I'm a selfish person. I'm fine now. Don't sink my boat. Or like my dad, I like it better when we don't catch anything. We just have our time together. Who wants to clean all of those fish anyway? Personally, I think it is important for us to go out and fish in deeper waters. There are plenty of people out there who are in need of our love, our kindness, forgiveness, and a promise of a new life we have to offer. Remember what I said about Jesus' disciples and how they were really not very good to begin with? They weren't good at being a disciple. Like them, we don't need to be perfect, and we won't be. We will betray our mission sometimes. We will fail to love and forgive. But we can persist. We must persist if we want love to dominate in the world. Can you see what's at stake We live in a time of division, open hatred, disease, war. Forgiveness and acceptance of our neighbors across the street and around the world is a rare commodity. Our homes are the scenes of domestic abuse. Our cities are full of gun violence. The nations of the world are constantly at war. Disease and poverty run rampant. And we can't find a way to even try to work together to be healers and helpers. And so, we need to drop what we're doing. Have a change of heart. We need 
disciples of love, and we need to be disciples of love. Here are a few steps to discipleship. Number one, examine your life. Think of the ways that you are an instrument of love in other people's lives and an example that you want others to follow. How you're already fishing for people. Keep on doing that. And then think of ways that you are negatively impacting others through selfishness, lack of compassion and understanding, and maybe just righteous anger. Drop that. Number two, engage other people in a positive way and encourage them as best you can to join you as a disciple of love. That includes members of your own family, people at work, people on the street. Number three, look for ways to advocate for peace, justice, and love on a larger scale. Practice a politics of love and reconciliation. Number four, comes directly out of Jesus' mouth, do not return evil for evil. In all that you say and all that you do, be positive, be positive, be positive. And finally, don't be afraid to fail. Don't worry about it when you do. Only God is perfect. Okay, let's get in the boat and head for deep waters. I have a feeling they may be biting today. Amen. Thank you for joining me. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. May God look upon you with favor.